in this circumstance. One of my favorite jobs that I ever had, besides you know being a missionary and, and being a minister, was I was a therapy instructor for several years for mentally retarded adults in a group home environment. And even as a fairly self-absorbed 19-year-old, I began to understand that the people that I was working with there, their lives had value. Their presence in my life was a real gift. They needed me. They depended on me. I helped them as I could. And in helping them, I learned in some way, began to learn the ways that I myself needed help, the ways that I myself was needy. I was their helper, but by the time I left that job, I realized that they had been my helper and my teacher. Because in that environment, these, these guys that I worked with, they didn't care about how smart I was or how good-looking I was or any credentials that I had, what kind of grades I was making in school. They didn't care about all of the ways that typically we try to use to value people. The only thing they cared about, it seemed, was whether I was with them or not, whether I was together with them or not. And typically when I would come into a room, they would light up. There would be squeals of joy, literally, and smiles on faces that they were so happy to see me. And in their joyful presence, my soul began to realize something of its own value. You see, they didn't mask their emotions like we learn to do as adults. If they were sad or angry or excited about something, it just came right out, unfiltered. There were no images to manage, no pretense. And that group home, when I went there, it was a place that was filled with joy. See, there are certain situations and certain people that God places in our path sometimes. And there, in some way, this, this circumstance or this life, they're a mirror that shows us the condition of our own soul. People and circumstances show me where I am fearful. They show me where I am selfish. They show me where I am prideful. They also show me where I'm weak and where I'm needy. The circumstances and people that I come across in my life teach me how to grow in compassion, in humility, in love. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We have times and situations where we will not be able to do the work of God. But now is Jesus' time. He is the light of the world, and he's busy teaching us how we are to be the light of the world as well. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, I must do the work of him who sent me. He says, we must do the work 
of him who sent me. So, do you think of yourself as a worker for the Lord? What jobs are you doing from God that helps others and honors God? Do you give your time and your money and your efforts to things that are bigger than you and your own immediate family? Or is it all internally focused? Well, I think of this verse and I think of the old saying, you ever heard the phrase, make hay while the sun shines? I used to hear that a lot and uh, somehow I ended up starting to say it myself. I used to be annoyed by little phrases my parents would say like that, but you know, sometimes the shoe fits, you wear it, right? Oh wait, that's another one, just slipping out. (laughs) We make hay while the sun's shining. And when Jesus comes across this situation, he doesn't hesitate. He doesn't stop like his disciples and just discuss about this guy. Who sinned, this guy or his parents? No, Jesus sees this man, and when he sees him in this condition, he doesn't hesitate. He moves into action to do the work that God the Father has given him to do. And he takes this situation, and he turns this man's life into something beautiful, a life that displays God's work and gives glory to the Father. Having said this, he spit on the ground. Then he made some mud with his saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. So the question I would ask is, why does Jesus heal this man this way? He doesn't always heal people this way. This is a messy one. I think Jesus does this so that this man can participate in his own healing. Remember that I said when you hear words like faith, think of trust. Faith is trust. This man trusted that what Jesus said was true. Faith is also a verb. Faith is supposed to be an action. It is tied to our obedience. Not just hearing something, but living it and obeying it. It's an invitation to action. This man's faith and his belief in Jesus' words move him to action. To stumble along in darkness, searching for this particular pool of Siloam. You think about that. Jesus says, go wash here. Okay, how is this blind guy going to find this place? How far of a walk was it? How much longer was he going to have to stumble getting there? Was he going to have to ask for help, ask for directions? This man had to participate in his own healing. I hear the police or something. And I'd like to also draw your attention to this word, uh, sent, salome. It means sent. In the hidden music of John's gospel, I don't think that there are throwaway words. I think it teaches us something about how our own healing comes to us. When we are sent by God to do something, when we actually go do it, 
is when we find our healing. Our healing comes when we get up and go and do what God says, when we actually obey. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, Nah, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am that guy. I am the man. I am the man. I am the man. We find that in Scripture too. That's great. He is that guy. So they're having this whole discussion. Um, and it's taking place whether this, this, this is really that same guy or not. And the only one who is actually sure about it and sure that he was healed is the guy himself. And it must have been kind of frustrating for him because they're having this whole conversation. Doesn't this guy kind of look like that beggar? And, and, and they're like, yeah, but he only actually, he just, I don't think it is. He just looks like him. And the guy's like, hello, I'm standing right here. Don't you think I might know what really happened? How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. So there's a lot of discussion taking place. And uh, uh, earlier in John, we had read about Jesus healing a paralytic. That paralytic, he had his eyesight, but when Jesus healed him, he has no idea who it is who healed him. This blind man at least knows that it's Jesus. So there's a certain irony there. He knows that Jesus is the one who healed him, but he also doesn't know where to find Jesus. In the hidden music of John's gospel, there is, hidden, there is a, a growing revelation that's taking place. People learning who Jesus is in steps and by degrees. We learn what Jesus can do. We learn that he is really who he says he is. We learn something about where we can find Jesus. And that's part of our spiritual pilgrimage as well. At first, Jesus, he's just a name to us. He's just a name, a Sunday school story, whatever, however he comes to you. Then you begin to discover something of the goodness of Jesus. You begin to discover what Jesus is like when you follow his teaching. Then, as you grow, you discover what Jesus can really do. That he still has power to change your life circumstances. Then you discover that Jesus really is alive. And that you can find him. And that you can communicate with him. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. Because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others ask, 
excuse me. Others ask, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they're having this whole discussion in front of this guy again, who just gets talked right over the top of once again. Finally, they turn again to the blind man. Well, what do you have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened after all. The man replied, He's a prophet. He is a prophet. (coughs) So once again, we find Jesus walking over lines that had been drawn regarding the Sabbath, just like he did in John chapter 5 with the healing of the paralytic. The law said, Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And so they had built up these walls and these rules and lists of rules about the rules. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. What could be more memorable and holy than the Son of God doing the work of God for the glory of God, for the blessing of people? What could be more holy and a greater remembrance than that? The problem is that they don't believe who Jesus is, that he says he is. They are blind to the possibility that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of God. Again, the important people are having this conversation amongst themselves, and the last person they finally ask about the man is the man who was healed. I, I kind of think of it, I imagine it the way that, you know, as parents or adults that you talk in front of kids, you're talking about the kids, but you're having this whole conversation and your kids interrupt you and they're like, hello, I'm right here. This is really annoying to me when you do that. At least my daughters will say that to us and stuff like that. So. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. This man was just a poor beggar. And the Jews were unwilling to believe him at his own word. So they get mommy and daddy to come in and confirm whether or not this, real, this man really had been born blind. And the parents confirm what they can, but they're also very careful not to say anything about Jesus. Because they were afraid of being thrown out of the synagogue, they keep a certain distance from their own son. He's a big boy. He got himself into this mess. He can answer for himself. (coughs) So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, 
I was blind, but now I see. And like this man testifies, testifies about what Jesus has done, so you and I are called to testify to the work that God does in our lives. You see, people in this world, they believe some really bad things about God and about Jesus and about Christians and what Christians are like. Sometimes justifiably so about Christians, but God and Jesus, they're they're great. But people believe some really bad things. And into those situations of pain and hurt and brokenness, the, the mess of this world... We are called to go and we are called to testify to the work that God has done in our lives. And like this blind man who says, I was this and now I'm this. So we say that as well. I say, because of Jesus Christ, I am not the same man I used to be. And don't be surprised when people won't want to listen to you or believe you. Just like these Jews do not want to believe this man's testimony. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? So first you think, how many times does this poor guy have to tell a story? Well, one more time, because these guys are busy trying to find the cracks, so they have something to throw back at Jesus. And they keep asking this question because they're hoping to get some some way to dismiss or accuse or discredit Jesus Christ. And this this guy, this poor guy, he's having to tell this story over and over. All these people are talking over his head. He's the kid in the room, the one whose opinion doesn't matter. And finally, he gets a little cheeky and says... uh, why are you asking me this story again? Is it because you want to be Jesus' disciples? So they, they didn't like this, of course. Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Don't even know who this guy is. So they're kind of like, how dare you, sir? How dare you speak to us this way? You're following this unknown guy. We're following the right guy. His name's Moses. You don't know, but we the one, we're the ones who know. So even while the Pharisees are getting this out, this guy, he's, he's quick on his feet. There's a certain wit that's coming out here. Uh, and while they're chest-thumping, He bursts their bubble again and takes them back to this amazing miracle that's taken place that they can't even accept or see. The man answered, well, that's interesting, or that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from? Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man, man were not from God... He could do nothing. So this, born, this man who had been born blind, he knows and accepts Jesus. 
He knows where Jesus comes from based on the miraculous sign that Jesus performs. He is willing to accept Jesus on the basis of the miracle accept. These Pharisees, the the basis of the miracle itself, these Pharisees are not able to accept this miracle. They can't accept this miracle, they can't accept this man and his testimony, and they can't accept Jesus really is who he says he is. Because if they do, they're going to have to lose power. And they're afraid of that. Because that acceptance is going to change everything. So they just outright dismiss this guy now. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. See, this man had been excluded his whole life because of his blindness. He was considered broken. He was considered unwanted. The culture of his day said, you have no value. Even to Jesus' disciples, this man is just a topic of conversation. What What do you think, Rabbi? This poor sap, I wonder what he did. Or was it his parents? Everyone is blind to seeing the blind man. People don't see him as a whole person. They don't see him in his loneliness. They don't see him in his darkness or his isolation. The only one who sees him is Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes to him and pays attention to him and heals him of his blindness. This man had been excluded from polite society his entire life because of his disability. And now he's excluded a second time. They threw him out. He's excluded a second time because he dared to stand up for Jesus Christ. Because he dared to take a stand for Jesus. And this is an important lesson for us because of the ways that God chooses to work. God wants to work together with us. And people will ask me questions sometime when I talk about prayer and I talk about hearing from God. I've known people who said, I've heard an audible voice. I've never myself heard an audible voice that, that I recognize as God speaking to me. His was a still small voice, and that comes to me in different ways. And the way that God communicates to you is probably rather unique. And uh, it's something we have to learn to listen to, and we have to learn how to unpack that. And it's something that I would be loving to help us do more and more. You will learn that if you're a praying person. If you are a praying person, you will learn how to listen to God's voice. The problem is we don't pray at that level most of the time. So people say, Calvin, you talk about being able to hear from God and communicate with God, and I don't get it. Hearing God's voice is not something that I experience. 
And if you're not hearing from God, there's several questions that come to my mind, things that I want to know and things that I want to ask. First one is, do you have unconfessed sin in your life? And if you do, have you repented of it? Have you confessed those things to anyone ever? And the second question I want to know is, are you actually engaging in the work of God? Are you involved in God's mission? And the third question is, have you ever taken a stand for Jesus Christ? Like this blind guy who was healed took a stand to the point where he's thrown out a second time. He's excluded from polite society a second time because his faith in Jesus. So this is kind of a lesson for us. What are ways that we can turn up the volume in your heart to hear God's voice more clearly? There's a lot of different things. God communicates this to us. The variety of the ways that God communicates to us in Scripture, it's astounding. The, the Bible is a, is a gift, but the, it, even the Bible itself as the Word of God, uh, He comes to us in dreams. He comes to us in the voice of uh, our circumstances, in the voice of angels, in, in other people who are attuned to the Spirit. God communicates to us. But here are things that I've found that I'm going to pull from this lesson that I think are helpful to us. If you're not hearing God's voice, can I be so bold as to ask the question, is it possible that you have unconfessed sin in your life? You complain about not hearing, but have you taken steps to deal with your own brokenness? Have you humbled yourself in that way? And the second thing is, are you busy doing the work of God? If you want to hear from Him, get involved in His mission. Back when I was working for myself instead of the Lord, and even as a missionary, I was busy, too busy doing God's work to pay attention to God sometimes. It's a trouble of some of us guys involved in ministry, and guys and gals involved in ministry, we have that trouble sometimes. We're so busy doing for God that we never listen to God. We never enjoy God. Back when I was working for myself instead of God, you know, we didn't really have a whole lot to talk about. And then finally, take a stand for Jesus against any voice who opposes him. Jesus makes some very unique claims in his life uh, and to his disciples about who he was and what his purpose is. Fourth chapter of Acts, there's no other name given to men by which we must be saved. Humanity has no other life boat. If you throw away Jesus Christ, you've thrown away everything. That's the claim of Scripture. But if you stand up for Jesus, you'll hear from God. You'll hear from Him. If you live your life in such a way that it brings people to a place where they have to decide something about Jesus once again, you're going to hear God's voice. You're going to hear from God because you're going to need to hear God's voice. To be able to stand up against all the ways people will try to discredit you and attack you, the, the insults people will hurl. Attacking your person, attacking your value, attacking your beliefs. 
But if you stand up for Jesus, he'll meet you in that place. And you'll hear, you'll hear that still small voice. And it'll say something like, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. In John's gospel, this is the first person that we find who is persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. This man was excluded because of his blindness, and Jesus comes to him. Now he finds himself back where he started, on the outside. They threw him out, it says. He is isolated and excluded once again. And so, notice the goodness of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus. He finds this guy and comes back to him a second time. When Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he had found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He worshipped him. See, in the hidden music of John's gospel, this is the second healing that's taken place now. The healing of physical blindness, it paved the way for a healing of spiritual blindness. And in the end, this man understands the divinity of Jesus, and he worships him. This man learns progressively who Jesus is. First, by listening to him and washing in the pool of Siloam, his blindness, his physical blindness is healed. And when asked who he thought Jesus was, he said at first, he is a prophet. But when he takes a stand for Jesus, and Jesus comes to him and reveals himself directly to this man, this man discovers that he is more than a prophet. He is Lord. And he is worthy of my worship. And this may not be a text that is typically preached on Resurrection Sunday. But I would say this is a kind of resurrection that's taken place. And it comes when this man declares from the depth of his soul, Lord, I believe, and begins to worship Jesus. The healing of our spiritual blindness is a resurrection that I pray we all get to experience. For some of us, spiritual life comes to us in a moment like a flash of lightning. For others, it's a slow accumulation over time when we realize, Lord Jesus, I really believe in you. And we begin to worship Jesus. And when we begin to worship Jesus, we move from darkness to light, from blindness to seeing, from death to resurrection faith comes into our hearts and we become a resurrection people 
we surrender ourselves and we take up the Lord's life when we are baptized into Christ. When we are baptized, we become a resurrection people. We'll get to celebrate that today. We share the Lord's Supper week after week as a reminder that we are a resurrection people. And as a resurrection people, we've been called to go into all the doubt, the confusion, the brokenness, and the filth of this world. And we'll find a lot of confusion about who God is and what God is like. And a lot of confusion about who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. And into these situations, we must confess, I am not the same man or woman that I used to be. I don't know about that, but this is what I know. I was blind, and now I see. And just like people rejected Jesus in his day and time, so people will reject our testimony of who Jesus is and how he's changed our life. Jesus said, for judgment, I've come to this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. For judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and ask, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt, it remains. So one last story, and we'll be done this morning. You know, there's a lot of horrible things happening in this world. Uh, in Sri Lanka, uh, hundreds of people lost their lives this morning, Easter morning, as uh, bombs went off in churches and hotels. And uh, those are the things that we'll hear more in the news and so this little story just kind of slipped in right in front of me. I was looking for an illustration that would match with my sermon. I was asking my wife. She was giving me suggestions. I couldn't find anything that fit, really. And then all of a sudden, this is a little thing on the news feed. This story came up about a blind man. Well, that's interesting. I'm preaching about a blind man. He's a Japanese sailor who completed a two-month non-stop track around, around the Pacific Ocean, becoming the first totally blind person to ever do this. Mitsuhiro Iwamoto, age 52, left San Diego on February 24th and sailed 8,700 miles in his 40-foot boat named Dreamweaver. You guys know that old song? Who dream weaver? He sailed to Japan with the help of a sighted navigator, American Doug Smith. And this was a long overdue moment for Iwamoto, who first attempted in 2000, whose first attempt in 2013, sorry, 2013 ended with his 28-foot uh, hitting a 50-foot blue whale and then sinking in a matter of minutes. He needed to be rescued in 2013 uh, and was in his life, life raft, 
by the Japanese military having to come out in near typhoon-like conditions to pluck him out of the water. And the Japanese media criticized this trip that he was undertaking. And he criticized, they criticized him for the taxpayer-funded rescue operation that had to take place. And the post-traumatic stress of the ordeal almost caused him to give up on his dream that he called the voyage of inspiration. See, he lost his sight progressively. He could see somewhat when he was young, but when he was 13, by the time he was 13, he was completely blind. And when he was completely blind, he wondered as to the purpose of his life. He wondered about his value. And he couldn't accept his blindness. And at one point, things got so bad that he even attempted suicide. But in a series of dreams that came to him, he heard a voice encouraging him and telling him to be positive. And he accepted that voice. And he built his whole life around the message of that voice. Mitsuhiro said, We undertake this voyage not only for personal accomplishment, but to send a message that anything is possible when people come together. My life does have meaning to encourage people, not just blind people, but sighted people who have lost their meaning in life. At the end of his first failure to cross the Pacific, when he was harshly criticized by the Japanese media, he said, who do you think you are? He didn't have an answer then. But he slowly rebuilt and persevered. He began to train in triathlons, train with the machinery and the devices that he needed, and he took the help of a friend this time. And after his successful voyage, when asked the same question, who do you think you are? This time he had an answer. He said, and I quote, I'm the happiest person on the planet Earth. What a beautiful thing it is when a soul begins to understand something of its own value. And this is the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus does this in the way that he comes to the blind man in John chapter 9 and helped him understand his worth. Because first he healed the man's eyes to see and then later Jesus came back to the man when he had been thrown out. And he healed this man's heart to see Jesus. And Jesus gives this mission to his church as well. As his disciples, we are called to bring light to dark places. And you and I are called to help souls understand their incredible worth. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So the invitation for us is to let that bright morning star shine into every place of darkness in our own lives and the lives around us.
For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Yet we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. You see, you and I, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus and his resurrection may also be revealed in our body. Let's stand and sing.